0: a life to search up a land? Why wouldn't I just play a different land that actually taps for the mana that I want? Are they really so good that I should be spending a hundred dollars on a set? With the recent Secret Lair Fetchland reprinting, I think now's a great time to talk about how to use these unique cards, and why the community has been calling for a real reprint for years. Reprint Fetchlands, or else I will shove Fibblethip into this hedron, I'll do it too. I need you to reprint Fetchlands. My five-color sliver EDH deck costs more than my car. Reprint them. My name is Jim. I'm your spike on the mic today, and we're here to talk about Fetchlands, and specifically whether or not they're worth the price tag in Commander. In general, people aren't playing fetch lands so that they can search up basic lands. They are, however, looking to search up lands with basic land types. Non-basics with basic land types are a powerful type of card, specifically because of how they interact with fetch lands. The most straightforward and sought-after fetchable dual lands were printed in Alpha, Beta, Unlimited, and Revised. You might hear people refer to them as revised duels, because most of the ones you'll see in the wild are from that set. People also sometimes call them A-B-U-R duels, original duels, or OG duels. They're old, they're rare, and they cost way more than most people are willing to spend on magic cards. Way more than fetch lands, that's for sure. There are 10 of them to choose from, and each one of them covers off a two-color pairing with their basic land types. If you can afford them, these are the absolute best of the best cards that you can fetch in a game of Magic, because they come into play untapped with no downside whatsoever. These lands are also on the reserve list. That means that Wizards of the Coast won't reprint them in newer sets to make more of them available. Not only that, they can't functionally reprint them by creating a card with a different name but the same effect. If you want more information on the reserve list, I'm going to throw some links in the show notes. Now, the most common type of fetchable duel that you'll see in the wild are shock lands. These were printed in the original Ravnica set, then they were reprinted in Return to Ravnica, and again more recently in Guilds of Ravnica. They're pretty affordable, at least relative to the revised duels. Now after Shocks, there's a pretty steep drop off in quality when it comes to fetchable dual lands. Throne of Eldraine brought us a cycle of non-basic lands with a single land type, and I love these. They won't fix your mana, but each one of them has a different conditional enters the battlefield ability. Whenever I see non-basics with basic land types, I can't help think about how including them will make my fetch lands more powerful. Each fetchable land in my deck increases the number of options that I have whenever I draw a fetch land. So now's a good time to talk about what fetch lands actually represent in your deck. The easiest way to talk about this is with two examples. The first example is an easy one. It's a 5 colour land base with 35 lands and no fetches. In a keepable opener, we might end up with three dual lands, or a couple of duels and a basic. Between these three lands, we're probably going to have access to three of our colors, maybe four. This might not be an issue in some games, especially if the other cards in your opener have low colored mana requirements, or if you're running a lot of mana rocks or colorless cards. Even worse, you might keep that hand and hope that by turn three or four, you'll have drawn more lands or some castable spells. Most often, though, you're going to have to mulligan because you can't reasonably cast what you drew. Double pip mana costs can be especially brutal and can leave you praying to the gods of RNG. In our second example, we'll keep everything the same, but replace two of the lands in our opener with fetch lands. Suddenly, our options open right up, and we can create nearly any combination of colors we might need. This means you're only worrying about the amount of mana you can produce and not the types. Now, these two examples should make it abundantly clear that fetchlands are really good in four and five color decks, but do they have a home in two and three color decks? Of course, but before we go any further, we have to talk about the concept of color identity and how it works. Comprehensive rule 903.4 states, the commander variant uses color identity to determine what cards can be in a deck with a certain commander. The color identity of a card is the color or colors of any mana symbols in that card's mana cost or rules text plus any colors defined by its characteristic defining abilities see rule 604.3 or color indicator see rule 204 because fetchlands don't have any colored mana symbols in their mana cost or their rules text and they don't have characteristic defining abilities and they don't have color indicators their color identity is colorless this means that, in theory at least, you can run all 10 fetches in any commander deck. In an it deck, even though you can only run one Shockland, which is Steam Vents, and one Revised Duel, which is Volcanic Island, you can run 7 fetchlands that can grab them. Flooded Strand, Polluted Delta, Bloodstained Mire, Wooded Foothills, Scalding Tarn, Arid Mesa, and Misty Rainforest. In practice, this is like having seven extra copies of those two dual lands, and paying one life out of your starting 40 is a minuscule cost to pay for that kind of consistency in your opener. Now, some people are going to argue that including the six non-is-it fetches is a bit of a loophole and circumvents the spirit of the color identity rule. But this is how the rules of the game work at the moment. Being right isn't usually worth being a jerk, and every playgroup has the right to play commander in whatever way is fun for them, so please respect that. OK, so we've covered off four color decks, five color decks, two, three color decks. What about monocolored decks? Is there ever a good reason to run them when you don't need color fixing at all? Absolutely. The utility of a fetch line goes way beyond grabbing lands out of your library. They also shuffle it for you. This means that you'll often see fetch lines in optimized monocolored decks, usually blue, because they're able to capitalize on that free shuffle. Fetchlands amplify the power of cards like Brainstorm, Sensei's Divining Top, Scroll Rack, or any other card that lets you manipulate or even just look at the top card of your library. After activating Sensei's Divining Top, if you don't like what you see, you can just crack your fetchland and shuffle them away. Now I wouldn't go so deep into this strategy as to include fetchlands that don't have any fetchable targets, but in a monocolored deck, you're going to have access to 5 solid fetchlands that will actually grab you a land if you need it. Now There are some other synergies that fetchlands enable. I'm not going to go super deep into them because they tend to be very specific, but here are some general ideas on how you might be able to use fetchlands for more than just color fixing. Playing a fetchland can trigger commanders like Tatiova to let you draw a card, and cracking the fetchland can let you draw a card again. If you play cards like Lotus Cobra, the landfall interaction can net you a ton of mana over the course of a game. Just the act of sacrificing a fetch can trigger any number of things, like Korvold or the Gitrog monster. In Muldrotha decks or any deck running life from the Loam or Crucible of Worlds, fetchlands can actually serve as reusable ramp. You just get to crack them, then play them, then crack them, then play them, over and over and over again. Now there's a ton of other strategies as well, this is just to get your creative juices flowing. After all this, you might think that Fetchlands are all upside, of course aside from their cost, but there are a few things you do want to keep an eye on if you're going to go heavy on including Fetchlands in your deck. Perhaps the most devastating thing you can run into when you're playing a high density of Fetchlands is Root Maze. This is a card that comes up in my Better Know a Combo series fairly often because it is an absolutely nasty card. Let me tell you from first-hand experience, there is nothing worse than keeping a handful of fetches, thinking you're going to be in great shape by turn 3, only to find out that your fetch enters tapped. Then the land that you fetch is probably going to enter tapped as well. This puts you at least a full turn behind, no matter what you're tutoring for, so if you've got a mental misstep, you know what to do. This is also the case, albeit to a lesser extent, with Thalia Heretic Cathar. If you're staring down one of these bad girls, you can avoid the full turn of tempo loss by fetching up a basic land. It isn't ideal, but if you can make it work with the other cards in your hand, this is absolutely the way to go about it. At least Thalia is not coming down turn 1, so you might be able to get your fetches in before it becomes a problem. The next thing you have to worry about is cards that punish activated abilities. The abilities in this category can look pretty different, so bear with me for a sec. Suppression field makes fetching cost an additional two generic mana, and Harsh Mentor makes you take damage. The Mentor's ability isn't the end of the world, but Suppression field can totally ruin your day if all you're drawing is fetches. Stifle, Trickbind, and a host of other counterspells can prey on activated abilities. If you get hit with one of these, you'll still have to sacrifice the fetch and you'll still have to pay the life as part of its activation cost. But you won't be able to search up a land. Along those same lines, there are also cards like Stranglehold, Shadow of Doubt, Leonin Arbiter, and Aven Mindcensor that either put restrictions on searching libraries or outright prevent it. The last thing you'll have to worry about isn't a specific card, or even a type of card. It's more of a comment on deck construction in general. Running every fetch that's available to you in your color identity drastically increases the number of non-basic lands in your deck. This is great for efficiency. It's good for crafting a singleton land base for Tainted Pact or Hermit Druid and making your early game color requirements. But if you're using fetch lands to aggressively tutor up exclusively non-basics, you're going to get absolutely punished by non-basic land hate. Blood Moon, Back to Basics and Ruination can set you right back to the Stone Age if you're not careful. Now, in the vast majority of games you play, this isn't going to come up. If you're expecting that type of strategy, though, you can play around it by fetching out your basics once you've hit your bare bones color requirements. Or you can diversify your mana production into dorks or rocks. With all that said, are fetches really that good? Are they worth the money that you'll have to drop to include them in your commander decks? Well, yeah, they are. But with a big ol' asterisk. Similar to most expensive cards, they're absolutely necessary if you're looking to maximize your chances of winning. That is to say, if you want to take your deck from like a 90 to a 95 or a 95 to a 99, you need these cards in your deck. But your motivations are your own, and $50 or $100 might not be worth it to you. That amount of money means different things to different people. If after all we've talked about here, the benefits are worth both the drawbacks and the financial investment, then you should absolutely go ahead and do it. But not everybody needs to do that. If you're not interested in optimizing to this degree, or if the price tag is too high, then don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Just don't run them. But I'm really interested in what you think. Do you run the full suite of off-color fetches whenever you have the opportunity? Do you have lands you like to run instead of fetches? Let me know in the comments below. And while you're there, let me know what you think of this new format for a show. My plan for this series is to be about halfway between a podcast and a video essay, and I might have guests on the show from time to time. I've been your spike on the mic, and thanks for talking fetchlands with me today. Hey, thanks for checking out the Spike Feeders on YouTube. If you're not subscribed yet, make sure you click that subscribe button and you can click this link to check out our other great videos.